Hello and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more Shelf Stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by for another special interview. So I have the privilege as a content creator. It's one of the reasons why I love this job. I love everybody out here. That's the main reason I do it. But a good side perk is being able to reach out to my heroes, the people that have designed my favorite games. I've had this gentleman on the show a number of times to talk about uh, different games that he's been working on, and we are going to do that again. This project in particular is very uh, special to me, uh, appeals to me because it goes along with a lot of the social justice and, in this case, environmental justice uh, things that I do in my uh, other life. So without further ado, let me introduce Mr. Matt Leacock, the designer of Daybreak, a new game that is about solving the climate crisis. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me again. Matt is the co-designer, uh, along with Mateo Menapache, who was invited to this meeting, and we sincerely hope that they're able to drop in at some point. So at some point, I'll be like, hey, we have a whole new person, and we'll uh, go ahead and introduce them. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Uh, hopefully they are doing okay. But we have Matt. We're going to move forward. We have already talked about a number of times. I think people know who you are <laughs> at this point, Matt. Um, let's dive right into Daybreak. So uh, let's start this from the very beginning. Uh, Daybreak is a cooperative game for one of four players in which you are playing activists, uh, people who are interested in you know saving the environment. And Actually, you're, you're not active. I'll stop you right there. You're actually world powers. We, we pulled the oh. lens way back and uh, you see the whole world and each player is, I mean, you might be playing all of Europe. <laughs> so Right, right, yes. Uh, right, mm -hmm. yeah. I guess I, I saw, okay, I actually wanted to get into that because, sure. uh, so I'll get into the second half of the, of the thing of the, because from my activism and from my uh, participation, I do not encounter the world powers as interested in saving the world. Uh, mm -hmm. The uh, the fiction of the game of Daybreak, which we'll get into the mechanics in just a second, but just to address kind of sure. a high level, uh, in the fiction of the game, you are playing these countries. And in this kind of alternate world, Europe, the United States, and the, the, the rest of the global world, the majority world, uh, they are oriented around and interested in, quote unquote, saving the planet, uh, becoming uh, climate friendly. That is not real life. <laughs> so I guess I associate uh, the game a little bit more with activists. Uh, but we'll get to this, the, that part of it in the second half of the discussion. Uh, but let's start with just the basics. Let's talk about uh, Daybreak and, uh, you know, from your perspective, what it, you hope it accomplishes. Well, I mean, we we set out to actually make a really fun game, um, but we did have we did have other motivations as well. So um, I I got started with the project because I was challenged by a climate scientist, uh, Declan Finney, um, in Scotland. He wrote this long screed to me saying, "Hey, you should make a pandemic game focused on the climate crisis. Basically, take pandemic engine, change it, and uh, really try to get the message out that um, you know climate change is real and it's and it's a something that really needs to be addressed." So I, I took a look at look at it. This is in the depths of the pandemic, and I, I was trying to figure out. You know, we're all we're all doing real all pandemic. this introspective, and real yeah, pandemic. the real pandemic. Um, examining How often like do you get our, those our kind purpose. Of pitches? How often? Oh, I, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe like a half dozen a year, something like that. Like you, and what are some of the more interesting p pitches they've gotten for a pandemic system? Oh, um, I mean, they're all over the board. Um, I'm trying to think of like recently AI. Um, uh, I'm trying to, uh, you know, um, yeah. It, I don't know if you can think of a um, 
uh, an antagonist that people need to band together to to stomp out, um, mm. it, it might show up in one of those. But so, um, like a Skynet type thing, <laughs> where AI takes over. The yeah, world. yeah. Actually, I I, I think yeah. I pitched Pandemic back in the day. This is like I don't know, going on like seventeen years ago or something like that. And um, one publisher was interested if they could change it into a computer virus game. And, and then after we play it, they're like, Yeah, no, we can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's not gonna happen. <laughs> So uh, yeah, but there's this also one sung to you. This one sung to yeah, you. Uh, this I, this concept did. Um, then I started doing research and realized that this was a you know indeed both a huge problem. Um, that that I I thought this may be one way I could um, dig into it a little bit, and then also realized that it wasn't a real good fit for a pandemic system game. So hmm. that's when I started to think about how could I make my own uh, climate game. Is it uh, um, speaking of that kind of the big vision for daybreak pandemic is it has a world spanning aspect but you have the avatar and the avatar is very localized you are a scientist you are yeah. was that uh, uh was that part of the block in terms of okay we need to shift systems yeah so i, I work really closely with mateo menapache uh, since almost the very beginning i, I think i'd maybe done a month's worth of research at most and um i bumped into a, uh, a blog post he had written about how what pandemic can teach us about the real pandemic and then mm. taking those lessons and then applying it to climate change. And I was just digging into making the game. And so I reached out to him and we had a meeting just to chat about it. And that meeting turned into another meeting. And then <laughs> three and a half years later, we had a game. Um, yeah. So uh, it was only recently that I actually met him in person. Um, but uh, anyway, I digress. Uh, one of the things that Matteo and I decided very early on was that we didn't want the game to focus on individual action, that it was about collective action. And uh, we wanted we did we wanted to pull the lens back as uh, quite a bit just to show the the complete picture. And so we didn't want to focus on like what you could do as an individual or what you could do in your town or city. Um, we we actually pulled it all the way back and looked at um, you know a lot of uh, what we were reading about was how uh, the global south was impacted and um, mm -hmm. what part the United States can play, what part China can play, and then those actually just started to click into. Uh, players uh, pretty quickly. And so we we developed the game with the concept of uh, you're playing with, um, you might play as Europe. Now as Europe, you're, you are you know, you could be saying you're, you're playing as all the people of Europe or the, the government or it's, it's very abstract. Mm -hmm. uh, many of the, the cards you'd be playing may be policies, which make you think it's government, but it may also be movements, social movements or uh, different technologies that you roll out. Um, yeah, I think it's so, the abstract idea I get is like the populace has kind of come together and we are all on this, uh, you know, one mission. I think of a movie like The Martian. I don't know if you remember The Martian from. Yeah, I mean, so I want to be clear. I mean, our our, our vision is very optimistic, but it's not yeah. like uh, Pollyannish. I mean, bad things happen in the game, oh, and sure. and it's all about what you're doing with the hand you're dealt. So I'll push back a little bit and say that some of it is is actually realistic. All the policies and technologies are realistic. We don't throw the entire deck of cards at you and say, hey, just solve climate change right sure. uh you you have a, a limited set and you don't have to cooperate so it's up to the players to figure out how they're going to cooperate in fact there's a lot less cooperation in daybreak than there would be in, in pandemic right. uh, i mean a lot of the players are spending like maybe 70 percent, 65 70 percent of their time just looking at what's going on on their own solving their own little tableau and then reaching out popping their head out and saying hey what's going on over there you know mm -hmm. i was going to um, ask so, about that so i might have supposed to yeah. brought it up in terms sure, of the yeah, I mean, when I did the review and the review was posted at today as I record this and next week will be the podcast. Uh, I spoke about the cooperation. I, I called it a pro. 
uh, it's not the kind of cooperation you would find in a pandemic or a Burger Brothers or, you know, um, like that kind of cooperation is on the board, right? You know, I move my piece here because I want to meet you here. You move your piece there. We do a kind of an operation thing together. This is more of a, a collaborative game and B, as you said, it's not uh, as you don't have to, <laughs> uh, uh, so to speak. So, and I said it in the review, it was more like a kind of a meeting approach, like, you know, saving the world through meetings. And that's what it feels like. It feels like <laughs> wow. Don't go into marketing, Jason. That's terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that, I mean, the cooperation style is is really bubbled up from what the game needed to, to work and uh, what it needed to be fun. So when we started out, you could trade like crazy. You could swap mm. cards left and right. And it was, it was really fun. The game also took four hours. And it also meant that everybody was standing up walking around the table looking at each other's tableaus getting in each other's business mm. and it was just um i mean again fun but um not as good as it it should have been and also i think it really would have been open to a ton of criticism about this is not how the way the world works so right right so in in the game what we had to actually do is we carved out some time called the global stage where that's about like looking around seeing hey what crises are coming up and what projects can we collaborate on together mm. and that takes i don't know maybe 15 percent of the game and then you work on those together. And then it's all about like opportunistically trying to find ways using your own powers to help each other out if you want to. And if you want to win, you you mm -hmm. really do need to do that. Sure. But it's it's not like this, um, you know, kumbaya kind of thing. Hey, we're all in it together. You know, you pull out the, the little guitar and, you know, <laughs> <sticking> <laughs> and solving climate change together. It's, it's very, not, very much not the way it works out. Right. I mean, or... What I will say is in terms of the collaborate, I think it's a collaborative game more than a cooperative game. And the uh, and sure. the collaboration being like a more verbal thing and more of a, a, a meaning thing. See, uh, you know, being an activist or whatever uh, people call me, uh, I'm used to it. I'm used to meetings. And, I, and that's like, that's how it happens. Like, you know, mm -hmm. every thing that you see, like, you know, every march, every initiative starts with, you know, people in a planning committee. And that's what the game feels like. It feels like a, like a bunch of people sitting in a planning committee, but it's not like a useless planning committee where we just got argue for three hours. Uh, so that wasn't necessarily part of the planning that emerged from playtesting. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I mean, the, the shape and form of the way you cooperate with the other players really came out of um, the playtesting and the development, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think the global stage is modeled after like a cop conference, you know, the, mm -hmm. the ones that happen each year. Oh, I'll get to the cop conference. All right. <laughs> we'll sure. get to that. Uh, okay. So um, let's drill down. I mean, we haven't talked about the main thing, which is which is a lot of what a lot of people are going to focus on, which is the card combos. So uh, that this is a card combo game. And actually, I think you say it in the rule book. Uh, where it's like this game is modeled on a Terraform Mars or a Wingspan or Race for the Galaxy. Happen to know that you've designed with Tom Lehman, who was the designer of Race for the Galaxy. So I imagine that game has been in your life for a very, very long time. So um, talk a little bit about shifting the pandemic model and why. What, what about the card combo model appealed to you that said, okay, this is what we need to do? Yeah, so I mean, to be clear, I didn't start with Pandemic and try to change it. It was more like, hey, what are the needs of, of this game? What's what's happening? And, and we saw that we wanted players to be rolling out policies and technologies that, you know, help mitigate emissions. And, so um, the idea of policy technology was very early. Very, very early. Yeah. Okay. And I think it was a little bit closer to, say, Terraforming Mars, where there are fewer co combos. You're just kind of you're just buying cards that affect your Tableau. And early versions of the game, you actually had a whiteboard and you're tracking just all sorts of stats. And a couple mm -hmm. of currencies. So if you think of, again, to make that terraforming Mars comparison, we had a couple of currencies like political power and um, what was the other one? Financial capital. So you had 
you had money and you had political power and you needed to figure out how to spend that on, on technologies and policies. Sure. And uh, it worked that it was kind of flat though. I mean, you roll out cards in your tableau and they just kind of accumulate and they would, you know, numbers would go up, but that was about it. There wasn't a whole lot of like interest. Um, and the game just took too long. So we took a hard look and we, we ended up uh, eliminating both currencies just completely. And uh, our cards at the time were called opportunity cards. And we thought, hey, well, let's just have opportunity cost. Uh, the, what you're spending in the game can be cards, a la Race for the Galaxy. And that when we did that, uh, mm -hmm. it just it introduced so many agonizing decisions and cut the playing time down. It was just good all around. Yeah. So we never looked back there. But then it was about like, we started tagging the things and just looking, how can we really leverage those tags? And from a thematic point of view, what that ended up being was like having positive reinforcement loops, you know, as solar uh, technology reaches scale, it becomes cheaper and as it becomes mm -hmm. cheaper, it scales out more. And then, you know, you get these positive feedback loops that actually really exist in the world, mm -hmm. or you roll out some policy and then you build on that policy to roll out other policies or one incentive and another incentive and so on. So we saw that was a really fun way um, to build up uh, tableaus, uh, mm -hmm. but also allow the players to to shift focuses because they've always got new cards they need to deal with that they can't necessarily predict or or plan for. So um, that was sort of the evolution of it, and uh, we just you know we tried to very um, build up on that core and reinforce that as much as possible. And when we we're done, we had like a engine building game, a tableau building engine building game, which was kind of like. It was a race where you've got players who are trying to come out with uh, these tableaus that are uh, more and more powerful over time versus um, the, the the crisis stage, which gets worse and worse as the temperature goes up. So mm -hmm. two positive feedback loops kind of racing each other. That's fascinating because I think, um, I guess from, from the way I read that paragraph in the rule book and also this happens sometimes where it's like someone will play a game that's like, I want to make my version of that. Right. And it's okay. This is the game. And I'm inspired by Ringspan or I'm inspired by uh, whatever the game is. And they kind of make their own remix of that. Uh, so I'm playing a game. This from a couple of years ago called Dead Men Tell No Tales, which is the designer says, I love Pandemic and I wanted to make my own Pandemic game with pirates and fire and all that kind of stuff. And like that kind of evolved from there. And they could, you know, it's, it's a whole different game and they put their own spin on it. So not quite here is what I'm hearing. What I'm hearing is that you started with some of my concepts. And then as the game developed and as you play tested, it became, it kind of like, okay, this paradigm fits. Let's just go here. So it wasn't like, is that is that fair? Oh yeah, I mean, it's very much the way it, I design. I'm looking to capture some sort of story or emotion or some sort of like a dynamic system, in this case, climate change. And then, you know, you go off the shelf and you, you pull or you invent or you pull the mechanisms that work. Uh, often, you know, you need scaffolding just to make the thing work. So you just grab some well-known mechanism, plug it in, see how it works. And then over time that evolves. So I am generally not going like, I want to make my take on, you know, worker placement game. That would, this is not the way my brain works. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's more driven by the, the the forces and the requirements of what I'm trying to seek out to, you know, accomplish. And I love, love, love as a, again, as a person who is active in this area, the idea of scale, you know, and that, you know, when the way we will have achieved something really great when we can scale stuff. Like, I mean, I'm th just thinking in terms of, I was just reading a uh, thing on airline safety. So in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, it's, we, planes are actually kind of unsafe. Uh, 
but as uh, things improved and as certain technologies were able to scale, right? And uh, in terms of radar, in terms of construction materials, and like, okay, we have this stuff, but how can we kind of implement it on a mass scale? We finally figured it out. And if you look at the airline safety numbers, it's super safe. I mean, there's stuff that happens if you, you'll read it in the papers, but like relative, like in terms of the big thing, uh, the big picture, it's way down, which is like, wow, how, uh, the, the world actually gets better, which is something that activists have to remind ourselves sometimes. So uh, just one last question about the mechanism that will go to the theme of the game, uh, the combos themselves. Uh, so in invoking those games, the Terraform Mars and the Wingspans, and now that we're talking about it, because it wasn't such a direct inspiration, it makes sense to me, um, but I did notice a big difference. In those games, those competitive games, the combos arc towards points. So you're incentivized to kind of build your Christmas tree and then like at the at the last turn, press your button and then boop, you get all this cascade of points, like a race for the galaxy. Your last turn, you could be, you know, emptying out the, the point board and you're reaching out to like little markers, your popcorn or whatever to like add your points. Uh, so because that engine has built towards that. In this cooperative game, and in this game where the goal isn't to score points, it's to kind of attack your emissions line, that couldn't be, right? You couldn't just have this open-ended last turn of like, okay, we're gonna get rid of a whole bunch of things. Hmm. And where how you addressed it was, okay, we're gonna put in these, these um, ability to pivot. So like you're gonna build something, you're gonna solve a problem, let's say you solve your energy problem, you solve an emission problem, and then you put on a card and then your whole engine pivots. And now I can get rid of all my industrial thing, or now I can give energy to somebody else. So talk about how that developed and whether that, because that to me, that's like the core fun of the game uh, is, is like finding that pivot point. And so was that part of the, was that one of the things that said, oh man, this is now we really have something here. Yeah, I mean, it. I think it it um, emerged out of the constraints that we were playing with. Um, uh, to your point about like, building these big engines um yeah you could build this gigantic green energy engine and you, you could be making clean energy you could make in the game you could make 12 20 you know tokens yeah. per turn we actually have extenders so that you can fit all the different <laughs> clean energy plants if you're like the majority world or, or uh, china because you can really pump them out but at a certain point you don't you actually don't need that much <laughs> you need it for electrification and so on so um i think a lot of it is just like when we were developing it uh we wanted you to feel super powerful, but there's so many different things you need to do. You can be really, really powerful at decarbonizing your industry, for example, but there's only so much industry that- To decarbonize, you know, yeah. To decarbonize, and then you've got all this agriculture, which is really hard to decarbonize, or harder, I should say, or transportation or buildings or what have you. And the the proportions that we we gave each player are actually based on real world uh, proportions. So that's a, that's a kind of a simple model of, of how, what the problem is. It's like, Emissions are a problem, but it's multifaceted and you mm -hmm. can't just use one solution to fix them all. So we wanted you to feel powerful, but also acknowledge, wow, you know, there's so many things to do that if I spent all of my time building one giant engine for decarbonizing industry, that's great, but it's not gonna solve the problem. So mm -hmm. um, we let you leverage the work that you've done and the momentum that you kind of feel from previous turns. You know, we've we've had this really great success in in decarbonizing industry let's move on to transportation or we've built this flexible um stack of cards that we could we could use for either of them um look how great we are so yeah we really wanted people to play to feel very powerful but then also recognize that it's a multifaceted problem and you can't just like become <laughs> powerful at solving right. climate change in all of its all of its forms and that's why you know when i did the review it's like okay this game is like these other games but 
you know, it isn't, you know, you can't just like build your cannon and then fire at the end of it. Like you have to build a cannon that is nimble, that, that is powerful enough to beat this one problem, but then can pivot to kind of shoot at this other problem. And I think that's really part of the core fun of the game. Well, I'll say that, I mean, that's one of the reasons why it's fun to play with like three or four people uh, uh, in that, you know, you can all specialize in different things to some extent. So one person may be extremely good at, you know, like um, forecasting crises or pulling communities out of crisis or building green energy and exporting it, or they might be really great at um, uh, building up sequestration on, on the earth. Uh, so yeah, you can you can feel great about doing that one thing and help the other players uh, while doing it. And um, it helps break that problem down in smaller pieces. Hey, we are joined uh, midstream by the co-designer. So we are going to make some room and put them back in, uh, put them in the conversation. Uh, so uh, Matt talked about him at the beginning of the podcast, and now we can hear his voice. Uh, he is the co-designer, Matteo Manapache. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so uh, we're gonna just kind of like take a step back in the conversation a little bit, and then we can we can bring you in. Um, so talk about a little bit about your uh, joining the project uh, and your interest. So Matt talked about how you had written a blog about uh, pandemic and uh, you know how what this um, what the system could say. So then you know you guys reached out, and connected it, and you know a match was made in heaven, so to speak. Uh, so talk a little bit about you know writing that blog and your interest in the topic. Yeah, so I've been a I've been a fan of Pandemic for for many years. So I studied Matt's games, and I I developed an interest in cooperative games. And when when a real pandemic happened, I I started looking at what we could learn from the game Pandemic applied to the situation that at the time was really new and really scary. And there were a lot of lessons that I felt we could learn from Pandemic in terms of. Uh, coordination, communication, uh, cooperation, of course, and and then I I jot down my thoughts in in this blog post, um, put it on my medium, and then a few days after, a friend reached out saying, "Hey, did you see that Matt Leacock also wrote a uh, an op-ed on the New York Times about pretty much the same topic?" Uh, so that gave me the the opportunity and the courage to to reach out to Matt. Uh, we didn't know each other at the time. And uh, so I reached out on Twitter and we started a conversation there. And uh, yeah, Matt was very, uh, very keen, very friendly, uh, came back. And we started also realizing that we had a common interest in climate change, climate crisis. And it turns out that we, we both had an interest uh, in using games to, to model the climate crisis. And uh, we both had tried before to to build something around that topic, but we found it very very big, very complex, almost overwhelming. So it it made sense to to join forces and to try and build something together. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, so we talked. We did a lot of the mechanism talk uh, in terms of the, the card mm -hmm. combos and all that kind of thing. So that pivots to the optimistic nature. Of this game, so this game I, we've said that word before, so we can drill down on it. Uh, this game is highly optimistic in terms of like, okay, we can solve climate change <laughs> in in a, in, a, in the end state of this world. We are drawing carbon out of the atmosphere, uh, and once you're drawing carbon out of the atmosphere, you talk to any scientist in the real world, it's like, yeah, yeah, that that's what we need to do, and then you know, kind of figure out other stuff out from there. But like, yes, that's the thing. So talk a little bit about that. Talk a little about like, okay, 
that goal of like drawing down carbon uh, and the feeling that you wanted uh, that uh, players to have at the table doing that. Yeah, I mean, well, if you read uh, much climate journalism, a lot of it is, um, well, I mean, a lot of it used to be like, hey, this is real, <laughs> you know, Yeah. people are causing, et cetera. And we, we've moved on. It's it's too late to really change people's minds about that. It's Right now, it's like, what do we need to do and what's happening? And a lot of the journalism is about like how um, this is the warmest year in record. And it it's important to talk about that stuff. But if that's all you talk about, all you get is this bleak kind of, um, you might develop like a bleak, hopeless view of the the future. And I, I think uh, Mateo and I just didn't see a whole lot of, um, with the exception of maybe Ministry for the Future, a novel <laughs> that paints this um, struggle to a, a brighter future. We don't see a lot of uh, fiction or works where we're looking at uh, what things could be. And painting this picture of where we need to be, I think is so important so that you can imagine it and you need to imagine it before you can, or at least it's very motivating in order to take action. So we wanted to paint this future and, and actually show the struggle that's involved along the way, you know, show how big the problem is, show the magnitude, of course, um, show that it's not uh, easy, but also um, portray all the different um, uh, technologies and policies and solutions and so on that are part of it. You know, it's, it's like a, a shotgun thing. We're not saying this is the one thing. There's some controversial policies and technologies in there as well. We don't say, hey, these are wrong. We just say, hey, you can use them and you can see how they're limited. You go through that process and you and you can see, hey, wow, this is solvable if only this happened. And our our thought is that that will um, paint this picture that people can be optimistic about. And actually, um, when they read climate journalism, they can actually take that article that they're reading and put it in a context of a larger uh, model that they mm -hmm. they've actually played with, not just read about, and then uh, have some idea of like the the scale of whatever they're reading. Um, maybe it's just a solution. You understand it's a very small piece, or it's a it's a, a problem, and it's and it's a very large piece or a very small piece. You basically get a, a way to measure things in your mind after playing with one of these systems. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is just trying to to paint what's possible. Um, I just don't see a lot of that. Yeah, uh, when they rolled out the Green New Deal in Congress in America, I know I'm being a little political, but it's a political game, and it's, it brings that stuff up. Uh, one of the things that they did in order to sell it, so to speak, was put out a video of what could be. So mm -hmm. you had people on trains, and there were green high-speed rail, uh, and there were walkable cities. People were walking. You barely saw any cars. And everything was bright and, you know, it was like, you know, sunny day. So I, and the, the video was explicitly to be like, you know what, um, whenever people talk about climate change, we usually talk about denied, denied, denied. We have to get rid of cars. We have to get, right. you know, and people get this idea of like, okay, well, what do we have to do with the, you know, plow the land again? We have to go back to, you know, centuries. No, we don't have to do it. Like we, there's actually a, a forwardness to it. So this game could have been, uh, and if you read the Space Biffs uh, blog, which will be linked in the show notes below, uh, he had done a review of the game and he talked about, you know, liking the game and appreciating the optimistic nature. But there were parts where it's like, you know, he pulls the card eco-fascist government and he says, wow, I can be an eco-fascist government. Oh, wait a minute. That's a crisis card. I can't do that. <laughs> I want to do that. And so the idea of being the climate crisis is multifaceted. The world is complicated and there's so many different ways to approach it. Yet in the game, the horizon is a little bit more constrained and focused towards just kind of like, okay, we're all just going to work together. You know, the, the, the different uh, entities in the world, even though they're most doing their own thing, there's no competition. There's no walling each other off in aggressive ways. 
So talk a little about from your perspective, uh, what drew you in, in terms of that vision and uh, why, why move forward there? And was there an attempt to incorporate other things or was it like, okay, no, we're doing this? Yeah, so we we considered for a very brief time having some kind of competition between players in the game. And then we realized that that would probably just meddle the, the gameplay. And it was better to, to focus on cooperation, at least when it comes to the the main game goal. So you, you win or you lose altogether. There is no individual winner. Uh, having said that, I would say that there is a lot of individual agency for players within the game. So you can, um, the, the amount of cooperation that you actively do within the game uh, varies. So in, in other cooperative games, you spend a lot of time talking to each other and kind of strategizing together. And there, there might be also a tendency for maybe one or two players to kind of take over the planning for everyone else. Whereas in, in uh, Daybreak, most of the times you're you're doing planning and you're doing your actions in your own part of the world in your own uh, player board and then there are also some times where you you come together as a group of players and you strategize for for to see the bigger picture when it comes to seeing the the crisis cards and also when it comes to uh, doing the global stage so I think that we we probably try to to find that balance between a world where the the world powers are are cooperating at least in in a, having a common goal whilst retaining a lot of individual agency a lot of autonomy in how they want to go about reaching that individual goal and i think that pretty much captures what what we're dealing with as a sort of humanity like we we're, we're on the same planet we share the same atmosphere and so that is the common goal is to try and solve that global problem whilst at the same time having our own our own ways to it and our own um powers if you like every 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 player can play out play out their their combos of cards they start with different cards they start with a different set of set of problems to solve but we're all tied together by this uh, you know by this shared goal what do you think about the idea that this game might be a little bit too optimistic? I think it's it's down to everyone to decide whether they think this is too optimistic or whether there, there's a, there's too much of a gap between what we're we're experiencing in real life and what the game portrays. Um, but what I think what we try to do is to show that all of the all of the cards are based on realistic policies. We we haven't uh, pulled any kind of science fiction or anything, which is well, that not would have been fun. <laughs> were there some science yeah. fiction cards that were like, oh, maybe we can think of like robot, you know, uh, dust cleaners or something? <laughs> no, we very much wanted it to be based on the real world. Yeah, I mean, what part of the yeah. message of the game is that you know like we have the technology right now, so a lot of it's mm -hmm. about the the political will. Excellent. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So it's uh, it's a game that gives you that ability to to play out what it what it would what could it be like if um, world powers, world leaders, uh, were to take 
this this situation seriously and and try to solve it with existing technology with um with policies that have been studied and implemented in some parts of the world so what would it take to, to just scale it to to the entire planet and to um get yeah, just take this crisis seriously mm-hmm. so going back to the i think going back to the optimism question um i like to think of daybreak as a game that um, gives it's more of a realistic game i would say in the sense that it's grounded in real science and real policies and existing technologies um it might feel optimistic because um you know we might not see what daybreak uh is portraying in in real life um but at the same time all of it is possible so um and i think that that's that's the goal of the game is to show that this is possible and if we can imagine it if we can make it happen in daybreak that means that we could also make it happen in the real world uh for me i am active in uh, some of these areas not as much as i used to be but you know i do, I do the best i can i keep track of it uh and from uh environmental activist perspective um, the enemy, as Matt said earlier in the show, is not the carbon atom. The enemy uh, is inertia, definitely on the part of the wider populace, but the fossil fuel industries. You know, uh, we just had the COP summit. Uh, another one is like in the, in the 20s at this point uh, in Qatar, uh, led by a former oil executive. And there was all this wrangling about the language of like, okay, what are we going to say? And the, the lobbyists, of, of which there were thousands of fossil fuel lobbyists at a you know environmental summit, which is crazy. Uh, struggled with whether they should say that that you know um the carbon carbon is the problem with the with the climate crisis and i was like what are we doing here why and so um someone had put it as like okay the climate crisis is not a frog boiling in water the climate crisis is a bunch of fossil fuel industries slamming the lid shut on the frog and making us boil so the game doesn't do that the game alludes to that in the crisis card you guys don't hide that it's there but it's not front and center. It could have been and maybe should have been it in terms of really helping people understand what the main barrier is. And maybe the game leaves the player with this idea of like, oh, if we just get together without realizing the, the how strong the opposition is. And so uh, I was I wanted to ask uh, Matt first, because we, we talked about then, you can uh, jump in. So what do you think about that? Could that have been the game could there have been more of a focus on the active opposition of the fossil fuel industry or would that have been like a, a different more a game would that have taken a direction that you didn't want the game to go well i, I think um we had to manage the complexity of the game and so if we were going to take it to the extent that you're talking about i think it would mean like introducing another antagonist in addition to um rising carbon right we have fossil fuel industry represented as um like you said, like a, a multiplier, they they make crises worse, right? They're they're embodied in the game, but it's it's through uh, the way we've modified a different system. So if we wanted to make the the fossil fuel industry's role in the um, climate crisis like front and center, like the focus of the game, which we we didn't, it's not the focus, right? It's a much more um, multifaceted sort of thing. Uh, I think we would have had to introduce another subsystem, and that would have like crank the complexity up even even more. Um, I think you could maybe take a look and say, hey, you know what? That crisis deck really should be instead of 
you know, 20% fossil fuel industry uh, activity, maybe it should be a higher percentage. I think that'd be, you know, that could be valid. We could debate that. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it's a much more nuanced thing to say, hey, you know, that should have been the purpose of the game because we, we set out with a different sort of uh, vision. Um, and we want the, the model to be, you know, representative though. And so, yeah, we debate the, the means, I guess. Sure, Mateo. Yeah, I think I agree with what Matt said. And I would say that the the presence of the fossil fuel industry in the crisis deck is already quite strong. And I think maybe we also sometimes overestimate the their power in the yeah. in the world. I mean, it's, it, I totally agree that they have a stranglehold when it comes to um, political uh, lobbying and also the 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 amount of um, power that they can exert at COP, COP conferences like the recent one in Dubai. Um, but on the other hand, you could also see it as a bit of a sign of desperation. If if they have to staff those conferences with their lobbyists, that probably means that, you know, they are the, they're desperate, that they, they, they're kind of losing tra traction everywhere else. So they're trying to really grasp on, on these, um, on this conference that, I mean, they're also kind of losing a bit of, um, authority in a, in a sense. I think that many states are kind of going their way because they realize that they're not going to get so much out of COP because COPs have been uh, taken over by oil oil interests. Um, but going back to the game, I think, yes, the if if we wanted to make the the fossil fuel interests more more prominent, we probably would have had to make that a play like giving them a more more active role and that's that's not the direction that we wanted to go down to mm -hmm. so the answer we'll is that yeah i was yeah. going to add a little more nuance i mean when you play the game if you've played it you know um even once you realize that adding new uh dirty energy plants to your player board is not something you want to do and, and so <laughs> i mean like anything anything we can do to kind of like chip away at, at their social license to operate i think would be good and one would be like if you read the news article about how they're going to open up all these LNG uh, terminals, you know, on the in Louisiana, you'd be like, "What the hell are you, are you thinking?" Right? I mean, because right. that means oh, and then you can say you can say, "Hey, you know, you read the article, and it's like this is going to increase um, dirty energy by a factor of the amount of Europe." If you played the game, you know how many tokens that is and how bad that is in the world, right? So. Mm -hmm. Um, it may not say fossil fuel industry on it, but those tokens rep are, are the output of, of that um, sector. And so, yeah, um, yeah. You, you can like internalize that by playing it. You, you understand like emotionally <laughs> what, what those tokens mean. Yeah, and and if, you can, if you can read these, if you can read media and see it in those terms, I think that's a, that's a big plus. And there are some, some cards, not many, but some uh, that actually attack your tableaus. And I know this was a game where you didn't want that too much. You didn't want it to be more positive forward looking game. But I think in terms of modeling what a fossil fuel enemy, fossil fuel company enemy would be like, it would be, okay, you see those resilience things? No, we're going to bulldoze that forest you built and we're going to, you know, whatever. Uh, take away your cards. And so I'm guessing that just wasn't, that that's not appealing for this, for you and for this type of game. It's a short game. You don't want to have people kind of like go one step back, one step forward. It's like just, you know, mostly build, build and give people give mostly let people have their tableaus 
Well, I, I, I don't know. I'd push back a little bit and say, like, I, we all have our own perspectives as to what the real problem is. And we're trying to look at a holistic picture and not just myopically say, this is only about the fossil fuel industry. Sure. And so we're trying to weigh all those things. And so this gameplay was one thing for sure. But when we're talking about misinformation, you know, maybe you're not able to forecast a crisis or uh, you're not able to handle things. It actually has in-game effects that we, we, we thought were, were a mm -hmm. good way of modeling these things. And and the degree was about where we thought it should be at. And it, we can debate that, but it wasn't like we were trying to make this happy-go-lucky uh, Pollyannish <laughs> kind of game at all. Mm. Right. No, no, definitely. And it, it, yeah, if you also, if you look at the amount of fossil fuel industry crisis cards that there are, there's probably 15, 20% of the cards have something to do with the fossil fuel industry. So, and of course, you're not going to see them all in, in a game, but they're, in any given game, there there is a high chance that at least one or two are going to come up. So you're going to feel it either directly because of the crisis cards or indirectly, as Matt said, because those those dirty tokens represent either you know their their the outcome of their of their operations. Okay, and to be clear, I'm not saying that the game should have been quote unquote like that. Just kind of what else could have been considered and discussed in terms of like modeling a game like this. A lot of game mm -hmm. designers listen to uh, the show and maybe hopefully please make more <laughs> crisis games. You don't have that many. And I understand, uh, you know, you look at uh, the latest Kickstarters and the latest dungeon crawls and the latest, uh, you know, the, the, the popular theme zombies and the spaceships and everything. And, you know, a game about a climate crisis isn't going to penetrate naturally as much as, you know, the more popular theme, but, make some and, and wrestle with these questions, you know, and clearly uh, Matt and Mateo have their own perspective on it. And it's very valid and very fun. I've ultimately liked this game. There's other um, discussions that could be had. So that's going to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good. I think there's plenty of room for like a game where you've got uh, you've got this collective good problem and you also have like individual objectives. And then you maybe you've got another player who's working against everybody. That's not the game we made, but I'm sure you could make something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, to kind of help people broaden, you know, for, for future games, not necessarily a criticism of Daybreak itself. Uh, so uh, last uh, section of questions is in playtesting. Uh, Matt, you had alluded to the fact that a lot of different people were involved in the making of this game in terms of, of development, playtesting, uh, Red Cross was involved. Give us a sense for how many organizations and how many other scientists and you know those kinds of people were involved, had input, et cetera. Yeah, one of the great things was, uh, you know, we, we built up a little library of different resources that Mateo and I were drawing from. And then um, over, over the course of the game's development, we started reaching out to the authors. And not only were they willing to um, answer questions, but they're willing to give feedback on the game. So, uh, like one of the game, one of the early books we read was "100% Solution" by Solomon Goldstein Rose, and we reached out to him, and he became a playtester and and wow. consulted on like every almost every one of the cards. Um, we got uh, so we used Drawdown for some of the research into the the technologies that we put in the in the game, and we got. Uh, them on board, uh, reviewing the cards, and then ultimately writing the content for the website. Um, so, uh, Mateo, you can probably speak more. I mean, the Red Cross, sure. Red, uh, yeah. uh, Red Crescent Climate yeah. Center was was a huge player. Uh, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the Red Cross Red Climate Center, I knew a couple of people there from previous collaborations, and they're very enthusiastic about using games in sort of serious contexts. So when they heard that we were working on this game, they, they really jumped on the opportunity to 
consult and give us advice and kind of mentor us throughout the process, play testing, and then as Matt said, also writing a lot of the content for the website. So yeah, as you probably know, every card has a QR code and you scan that QR code, it takes, takes you to a page that tells you how to use that card in the game, but also what, what that card represents in the real world and also gives you uh, opportunities to, to learn more about it and to maybe take action. Uh, so Climate Center was a big, big helper. Uh, we also had uh, help from people at uh, WWF, Greenpeace, um, Laurie Laban, who's the co-author of a book called um, Light on Fire, has been a big fan, uh, playtester and also author for, for the website. Troy and Drew, uh, authors of Half Earth Socialism. And then uh, World Resource Institute. We had a bunch of people from from that uh, awesome organization that uh, gave us a hand. So yeah, it, it's been a real pleasure to, to work with, with all these people and also to see how, how enthusiastic they were at, at, the, uh, at the prospects of, of working on this project. What was the... I imagine that there were organizations that you reached out to that you you know they either weren't interested or there's like okay what's this kind of game? What was the overall success rate in terms of you know reaching out to people and having them respond? And another way to ask that question is what's the Venn diagram between you know uh, social activist in the environmental sphere and gamer? <laughs> was that a pretty close Venn diagram or pretty delighted that it was pretty pretty close? Yeah, to, yeah, yeah wow. close to a circle. Yeah, and I think the the percentage was extremely high. I, I I can only think of like one person we asked where they said yes, but we didn't get much information back from them because they were mm -hmm. just like super busy. Um, but it was mostly enthusiastic. It's like wow. We yeah. Can... Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah very wow. much so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And is part of that like the desire to get the message out? Like, I mean, I, I'll tell you right right now. So I'm a day job. I'm a psychotherapist, and that's kind of the the, the activism stuff is on the side. And the most nervous client that I've ever done therapy with, besides like, you know, trauma victim, PTSD, all these things, the most nervous client I ever taught, I ever worked with was a, was a climate scientist because they saw the inertia and they saw the boundaries and they're like looking for houses in the upper mountains of Norway and what, you know, because of sea level rise and all that kind of thing. Uh, so what their mess, what they talked about was that they were desperate for people to listen and to help in their own ways get the word out so was it the case where you reached out to these people and they recognized oh this is a game that could help us get the word out about the message was that a big motivating factor in reaching out to some of these uh organizations yeah um, yeah. yeah i mean I, red cross specifically i mean they, they do games to really kind of communicate things i mean i, I think it's kind of accepted um I don't know. I don't know how many conversations they had about it, but games are a really effective way to get people around a table talking about something, right? Mm. Um, and so that was something we saw. Um, so that was already understood. Social you didn't have to, like, to like sell have a that. conversation. Yeah. No, we didn't have to sell it at all. No. Wow. And, okay. Yeah. Because that's a big thing in terms of you know, some of the work that I do. And like, what can games do? You know, is it just a game or is it uh, something more than just a game? And what what you're saying is not only is it not just a game, it's an enable of a conversation, get the word out that it, that message has already been kind of received by a lot yeah, of Yeah, there was no resistance there at all. I wow. mean, I think it may, may have been 
the fact that that was close to a circle, or maybe that these folks understand climate communication, but uh, that was not a problem at all. Fantastic. Yeah, and it also it tends to be a case that you have in an organization maybe one or two people that are both into climate science or climate communication and into games, and then they become the 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 champions of a project like Daybreak within that organization. So we had a couple of examples of that uh, that dynamic where one person we either reached out to us directly or we somehow started a conversation with them and then they opened up the doors for uh, a wider collaboration within that organization. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So uh, clearly I'm submitting this project. Uh, I really hope that it is as well. I really hope that A, uh, you know, maybe some expansion material, that'd be great. I uh, won't ask about that because I know, <laughs> unless there is something to, um, uh, to announce, uh, but other games, you know, the, ultimately this podcast is about uh, caring for the conversation, help inspiring people, uh, designers, publishers to give chances to games like this. Uh, so are there any last words, particularly about Daybreak? I know Mete, you're joining a little bit uh, later, um, but th is there anything that we, about Daybreak that we haven't talked about that you'd like to talk about now? So I'll start with Mateo. No, I can't think of. We're good. But... <laughs> Uh, what about you, Matt? Uh, I just mentioned that um, we uh, the publisher CMYK went to great lengths to make sure that everything was very sustainable. So there's no plastics in the game, and uh, and that was a real learning process. You know, trying to figure out how to make a game without shrink wrap and 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 so on, and without a plastic coating on the top, and how do you store components effectively, and so on. I think um, the industry has a bunch to learn there, and it's fun and exciting to see uh, different publishers kind of learning from each other and trading tips. So that was that was. Uh, that was really interesting to me. Uh, one of the things we did when we developed the game was we had a cloth bag in it and we had an environmental, uh, environmental review of the whole thing. And, and we learned very early, very strongly that we, we should get rid of the bag if we wanted to <laughs> reduce our impact. And we ended up replacing that with a, a wooden die and it, it ended up making the game better. So I, I just encourage uh, other designers and publishers to be thinking about those things early on because they can they can affect constraints can be helpful sometimes to the creative process. Absolutely. So, and uh, we just we talk a little bit about production. I know that, um, yeah, that, uh, some of the I, I was speaking with some of the producers of the game and we've gone back and forth on email. Uh, so I hope to bring that together uh, at some point. Uh, but for now, uh, this uh, the game is uh, mostly wood and uh, things that can biodegrade basically and won't leach into the environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, you in a hundred years, you'll be able to shovel this game to the ground, and it won't leach microplastics into the environment. Uh, there is some recycled material in here. A lot of the paper products are FSC certified, which means that it was grown on uh, in forests uh, from that that where there's a, a a tree farm, basically. So they 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 replace whatever trees are cut down. Uh, so there's a lot done uh, in order to make this more environmentally friendly product. So. Um, uh, we talked with the Earthborn Rangers people about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, continue those conversations as well. And more specifically for people who are like kind of behind the scenes there. We're talking about game. We're talking about Daybreak. We're talking about a really, really fun card combo game. Uh, it has a lot to say. But if you don't want to engage with what it says, it's a fun game anyway. <laughs> That's kind of, uh, you know, the idea there too. Um, so, yeah, uh, next things uh, and where we and where people can contact you. Uh, Matt, uh, you always have stuff going on. Uh, bubbling up. So I know that you can't talk about too much, but just kind of, you know, give us a hint as to what may be coming and where people can <laughs> I am looking over the whiteboard. I've got, uh, I think, four games coming out this year. So keep an eye out. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, this is a dexterity game that has been underdeveloped for like seven years that I, I knock on wood will be coming out this year. Um, and then some other stuff I can't talk about that I'm excited about. 
Awesome. And where can people contact you? Oh, um, I'm uh, you just gotta uh, go to leacock.com, and from there you can find my uh, other contact info. Okay, Mateo, uh, what are you up to? What's what is next for you? So at the moment, I'm working on a couple of projects that um are called serious games in a sense because they are commissioned by the UK government. So I can't really talk much about those. <laughs> what does the well, I know you can't talk specifically, but what what purpose yeah. would a government sponsor a game for? Would it be for instructional purposes? Would it be for, I know um, I know some people in the wargaming space uh, and they work with the mm -hmm. Pentagon and sometimes, uh, you know, they yeah. uh, there's make schemes for Marines and so that they can mm -hmm. model certain conflicts. Uh, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. That, that, is that kind of- Those, kind those of are kind of simulation games. No, these are uh, co-design type games. So it's about going into certain communities that are affected by policies that the government is currently developing or redeveloping and using games and playful activities to sort of level the playing field so that build a bit of trust between different stakeholders, the government. Uh, sometimes these people don't like each other or they really don't like each other. And and using games as a way to give everyone a kind of fair chance to to be heard and to share experiences, to share ideas, and then also to to gather quite a lot of data, which will then be going through the sausage machine of policy design, and then hopefully we'll find some kind of implementation in the future. So yeah, this is as far as I can say. Uh, it's a really interesting um, area because it's it's quite different than than developing games for for the mass market like like daybreak it's a it's a very specific audience and uh, also like a shorter time frame to develop um but i'm yeah i'm hoping that more and more of these projects will will show how games can be can be used in in different contexts and can also be used to to bring very specific, but real change in the world. It's not just a game, people. <laughs> it's all sorts of things uh, that games can do. So we talk about that all in this podcast. Uh, but uh, for now, that is Daybreak. Please go ahead and check out our content on the YouTube channel. The play the playthrough is live. The review is live. Everything is live. Uh, and I've been sharing it. You know, I, I it's one of those games that I I bring to. As a reviewer, you get tons of games, and as soon as you're done with the content cycle, it's like, okay, let's move on to the next thing. With Daybreak, I've brought it to a library. I've brought it to uh, different game nights because I want people to experience it, not just for gameplay, but for the what it says. Uh, and it's just a really well-done thing overall. So Matt, Mateo, thank you so much for Daybreak and for the time that you spent on the show. All right, thanks. Thank you so much. If you can change your mind, you can change the world, people. So until next time, later, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.